Well, turn over to 1 John. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 5, and uh, we'll turn our focus to the Word of God. And we're looking at that opening paragraph. I've titled it, The Nature of Saving Faith. This is part two. Let me read the text for you in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and we'll pay particular attention to verses 4 and 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We come to a a key term in our text this morning, and I believe a key term in the book and the epistle of 1 John. Certainly you have come across that term before in your reading of the Word of God. It is the word overcomes. And it's mentioned, look again at verse 4. Whoever's been born of God overcomes the world. Verse 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Three times that word overcomes is mentioned in verses 4 and 5. It is mentioned, is that term, in every message to the church so the church is in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. In fact, glance over to the right just for a second. Look over to the message to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And you'll see that that term is mentioned there. You remember that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, he opens there with the message to the church at Ephesus. And he says in 2, 7 to those who are in Ephesus, that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who, and here in the ESV, conquers, nakao, it's the same term for overcome, but he says, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the one who eats of the tree of the paradise of God is to the one who conquers, is to the one who overcomes. If you glance down in your Bible, look to the end of the church at Smyrna in 2.11, after he gave that church a specific message. In verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, there it is again, overcomes, will not be hurt by the second death. So you want to overcome, because if you overcome, you're not going to be hurt by the second death. Glance down, if you will, to the church at Pergamum in chapter 2, down at verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers or overcomes. I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. 
There that is given, that blessing, that reward is given to the one who overcomes. Look down at chapter 2 and verse 26, the message to the church at Thyatira, to the one who conquers and overcomes or keeps my works until the end, to him I will give the authority over the nations. Look in chapter 3 at the church at Sardis in verse 5, the one who conquers, same word for overcome, will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name of the book of life, and I will confess the name before my Father and before his angels. I mean, you certainly want to conquer, and those who conquer, verse 5, those who overcome will be clothed with white garments And their name will never be blotted out from the book of life. And certainly you've read these things before. Glance down at chapter 3 and verse 12 to the church and the message at Philadelphia. To the one who conquers, Nikao, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from from God out of heaven and my own new name. I mean, you want to overcome, don't you? Because you're going to be a pillar, if you will, in the temple. And finally, look all the way down to chapter 3, verse 21, that the one who conquers, this is to Laodicea, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. I mean, you want to overcome, don't you? You want to be one who conquers in that sense, in that message of Revelation. Now, in Revelation 2 and 3, Christ addresses seven historical churches that are in Asia, and he discerns their spiritual conditions. Similar conditions recur in churches that claim his name, obviously, down through the centuries. And in the letter to the seven churches, he promises, as we just read, a specific blessing to everyone who conquers, to everyone who overcomes, and to whoever is the victor. And so here the question in Revelation 2 and 3, the main question even for us this morning, who is the overcomer who receives the reward? Who is that? Is that you? Are you an overcomer this morning? Are you a conqueror? This morning, are you victorious this morning? Who is the overcomer? Now, you have to ask that question even as you turn back now to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, where it says, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes. Who is the one who overcomes? There's three main views on this thought, and you'll see different scholars will give you as such. But number one, the overcomer, some would say, represents a saved individual who perseveres to the end. So the saved individual who perseveres to the very end will in fact be that one who overcomes. Okay, In that view, some, first view, may forfeit their ability to overcome, and thus by such they forfeit their salvation. Some who were once saved forfeit forever their final reward 
which our Lord in Revelation 2 and 3 promised to the overcomer. And so you're at, is that who that is? The individual who perseveres to the end. Second view is that the overcomer is a saved person who conquers, and that person is distinguished from the defeated Christian. This interpretation sees the overcomer as the more victorious believer, and only the victorious ones will receive the rewards that Christ promises. The saved person with unfaithfulness mingled with some fruit in his or her life will remain saved eternally, but they simply stand to fail to gain aspects of reward that are held to be distinct from salvation. That's the second view. Some are saved. They receive the promise Others who don't quite make it up to that, they're still saved. They just don't get the reward. But the third view on this theme of answering the question, who is an overcomer, is the overcomer is every person who is saved. In other words, all the genuinely saved will turn out to be overcomers and receive the reward that Christ promised to them. How shall we answer that question? Who is John addressing in this epistle? And for that matter, who was John addressing the author in those letters to the seven churches? Let's find out. So as we look back now in 1 John chapter 5, remember that we said that John is kind of climbing this spiritual staircase, if you will. Not to earn his salvation, it's just he's building his argument and he's just spiraling this staircase upward. And as he ascends the staircase, he continues to bring out these features that deepen our understanding on the nature of saving faith and the doctrine of Christian assurance. Now, the focus here in our text is on the nature of saving faith and the evidences in the life of one who truly knows God. What John is doing is he's moving towards his climactic verse. Look at 1 John 5, 13. There he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. He's moving his argument to that text. But the question that I ask for you as we looked at some weeks back, What exactly does saving faith look like? I mean, what are the characteristics of saving faith? And how can you, according to 1 John 5.13, be sure of eternal life? How can you really know that you have it? Well, John's going to tell us from this text in 5, 1 through 4. And what he does is cite Four affirmations on the nature of saving faith. Four affirmations on the nature of saving faith. Saving faith believes in Christ. Saving faith, secondly, loves God and others. Saving faith is obedient to the commands of God. And saving faith overcomes the world. Now, a few weeks back, We looked at those first three affirmations. Let me just touch on them briefly. The first thing he says is on the nature of saving faith is number one, that it believes in Christ 
verse 1. Look at it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So the first statement that he gives is a doctrinal test. You must, to be born again, you must, in order to have saving faith, believe in the person of Christ. And we took some time a few weeks back to say that the the ideal of believing is a wholehearted dedication to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We said that that is more than an intellectual understanding. It is a personal commitment that one makes to the person of Jesus Christ. We noted some weeks back that that belief there is in the present tense. It's the ones who are truly saved. Don't look back and claim an experience at one point. They're the ones who continue to believe present tense on the person of Christ. And we noted there that it's your continual belief in Christ that proves you are born again by God. And we noted that. Look at verse 1 where he opens that statement. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And we noted that it's not your belief that causes you to be born again. No, we noted weeks back that it's the fact that you have been born again, that God regenerated your heart, that you believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we said that your faith is not holding you. But the God who caused you to be born again is causing you to have a permanent faith. And we noted that the initiative is God's. So there's saving faith. Number one, it believes in Christ. That's the doctrinal test. Then John, secondly, moves to the expression and the proof of faith's existence. And we noted, secondly, there that saving faith loves God and it loves others. Look at verse 1b. It says that everyone who loves the Father loves whoever is born of him. And when John says, whoever loves the Father loves whoever is born of him, he's saying that all those who love God will also love his children. They will love fellow believers. This is what John says on the nature of saving faith. Saving faith at least is this, that you're believing on the person of Christ. Saving faith is giving expression then, if you will, to loving God and loving those who come from God. Back up in the argument, look back at chapter 4 in verse 20. We know this, we've seen this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so here's the nature of saving faith, believes Christ, it loves God and others. Thirdly, it's obedient to the Scripture, is obedient to the Scripture, and that's the moral test. Look at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, here it is, and obey His commandments. You cannot love God without loving fellow believers, and you cannot love the children of God without loving God and keeping His commandments. And so here he says, here's how the nature of saving faith works. Whatever you want to say about it, let the Scripture dictate it. Here you must believe on Christ. 
Here you must, if you will, love God and love others. That's the relational test. And then thirdly, what we call the moral test is you by way of life, by pattern of life, by consistency of life, are obedient to the Scriptures. Jesus said this in John 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so here's what a believer does. They love God, and they obey God. And so these commandments we don't do out of slavish fear. Look at verse 3 of chapter 5. It says, these commandments are not burdensome. And so it's a joy to follow God. That's where we left off. True faith, those born of God, believe on Christ, love God and others, are obedient to the Scriptures. And here's our fourth and final mark in this argument of John. They overcome the world. They overcome the world. Look at verse 4, and we'll pick the text up. Very interesting text. It says there, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world okay so then you just add to the argument the child of god who was born of god believes on christ loves god loves others is obedient to the commands of scripture and now this fourth argument they overcome the world now now look back at the text in verse four he uses that word right at the beginning for everyone in other words Four is the reason for verse 3. In other words, the reason that the Lord's commandments are not burdensome is for this reason. Look at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Okay? Those in the world, keeping the commands of God is a killer, isn't it? I mean, if you're not a believer, this is the last thing you would want to do. You don't, if you don't love Christ, if you don't love God, if you don't love his people, then you don't want to obey the scripture. But someone who's been, in this text, born again, who loves God and loves people, wants to obey God. And the reason that they want to obey God, look at verse 4 again, is that they have been born of God. What John is saying is that it is the new birth that gives us the victory over the world. In fact, without the new birth, keeping the commands of God would be impossible. And when I use that term, you're going to hear it. We've already explained it in 1 John. When he talks about there in verse 4 about being born of God, that's simply the expression that Jesus used in John 3 to be born again. It's the word that we use in a theological system that speaks of the doctrine of regeneration. That when God Almighty elects you from the foundation of the world, He then regenerates you. He causes you to be born again. He breathes life in you. So when John says here, the commandments are not burdensome, the reason that's so is that you've been born of God. Now what John does in the rest of this text is bring out two powerful statements 
that hammer home that truth that we have overcome, okay? Here's the truth. We have victory first because of our victorious birth, okay? Then secondly, because of our victorious faith. Let me explain that. Look at verse 4. First, our victorious birth. It says in verse 4 that everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That word there, as I mentioned earlier, overcomes is simply the Greek word nikao. In fact, it just means to conquer. It means to win. It means to defeat. It's the idea of to have victory. When you see that word nikao, it speaks of a conquering power. In fact, built into that word, it reflects the superiority, a superiority that leads to overwhelming success is the thought of the scripture. And it involves this success and this victory and overthrowing of an enemy so that the victory is seen by all. In fact, one scholar said that that noun from nikaos, or we actually use the word Nike, from which we get our English word Nike, the Greeks love that word Nike. In fact, if you go back into Greek culture, they had a goddess by the name of Nike. And this was the goddess of victory. It was the goddess, if you will, of triumph. In fact, the Greeks believed that victory could not be achieved by mortals. They believed that only victory could be achieved by the gods. And only the gods, they taught, were unconquerable. Final and permanent victory only belonged to the gods. And they were the only ones who could conquer They were the only ones who could become unconquerable. And so for men, there might be a triumph, if you will, here and there, but but they would be mingled with defeat and failure. Only the gods could reach the level of being unconquerable, and that's what they taught. In fact, we use that word in English for uh, military bases. We have Nike missiles is the thought. You might be wearing a pair of Nike shoes, that you might want to achieve victory in whatever athletic endeavor that you're entangled in. But for the believer, what what John is saying here, for the believer who is born of God, what he's saying is that you already have overcome the world. What what John is doing here in verse 4 is he's making a statement of declaration. He's declaring a reality. He's not stating wishful thinking. Look at it again in verse 4. For everyone, no limits, who has been born of God overcomes the world. Here's the truth of this text. If you are a genuine Christian, then you are an overcomer. As you said So if you go back into Revelation, you're thinking, well, I want to be. Let me just tell you what the Bible says. You've already overcome the world. That's what John is teaching here. You are victorious already as a believer. In other words, the victory can never be taken from us. We may fail along the way. We may lose some skirmishes to the world's allurements at times. But the great war has been won, and the victory is ours. What's interesting in this text is that the emphasis here in verse 4 is not on 
the victorious believer. It's actually the emphasis on the one who has been born of God. In fact, look at the text again. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. The emphasis here is on the power of the new birth. And those of you who have been regenerated by God, those of you who have been born of God, overcome the world in which we live. And so the focus here is not so much on believers, but on the God who brought forth the new birth. In other words, the life of God in us enables us to overcome the world. Here is our victorious birth. By being born again, you have overcome the world. In fact, this is not the first place the new birth has been mentioned in John. Look back at 1 John chapter 2 in verse 29. 1 John 2, 29. It says there, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been, what? Born of him. If you practice righteousness as a lifestyle, not with perfection, it clearly demonstrates that you've been born of God. Look over at chapter 3 and in verse 9. It says there that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. In other words, if you have the new life in you, the new birth in you, and you've been regenerated by God, you will never as a lifestyle continually practice ongoing sin. You say, well, why? Well, it says there that no one born of God can live in a lifestyle as such. Look over at at chapter 4 in verse 7. It says there, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been what? Born of God. Listen, the reason you love other people, you're not trying to work your salvation out. No, because God has already worked in you. God has caused you to be born again, and it's out of that heart of being regenerated, you love other people. Same with righteousness. And so we've seen this thought. Look over at chapter 5 and verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If you're believing this morning, the reason you're believing in Christ is that you've been born of God. Let me be clear here. You're not born of God because you believe in Christ, okay? You are born of God, and because you're born of God, you do believe Christ. That's, how, that's the argument that John's making. And now look at 5.4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, the word there in verse 4 for overcomes is in the present tense. In other words, you're continually overcoming the world. It is permanent, but it is ongoing. We are, John is saying, permanently triumphant. Permanently, we are conquerors. You are, if you're in Christ this morning, are an overcomer. And I want to be clear here. It's not saying that you can be an overcomer. It's not saying that one day you might be an overcomer. No, what John is saying is that you are already victorious. You already are an overcomer. 
overcomer. In fact, look back at chapter 2, verse 14. He used the word there, and you'll see what I mean. He said in 2.14, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have what? Overcome the evil one. And so he's writing to young men because they're strong and they've overcome the evil one. It doesn't mean that sin no longer is a temptation, but it simply means that the victory has already been won. Look over at chapter 4 in verse 4. There with the false teaching, he says of those false teachings to the true believer, he says, little children, you are from God and have what? Overcome them. You've already overcome the spirit of the Antichrist. And here it says that we have overcome the world. We are victorious over it. You say, well, how is that, Scott? You're victorious because of the new birth. In other words, we no longer live in the world as we did before the new birth. Isn't that true? I mean, if you're a Christian here, you're not locking arms with the world anymore. If you're a believer, you don't love what the world loves. If you're a believer, you're not earthbound and in love with the stuff of the world. You have a standard that is different. The things we love is different. Our morals are different. Our preoccupations are different. Our families, right, should be different. I mean, if you're a believer, you're not raising your family like anybody else in this area. If you have children, you're raising them, are you not, to love Christ. And you're loving and and valuing Christ and his kingdom beyond anything else in this earth even your own family. In fact, look back at 1 John chapter 2 in verse 15. You remember when we spoke of that there where it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, what? It's not in him. You can't be a believer and love the world. You can't be a believer and be consumed with the world stuff. Why? Because if you've been regenerated by God, you have a victorious birth. That birth has given life to you, the life of God in your soul. And so you've already overcome the world by virtue of being born again. You don't love what the world loves. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so we don't love the world because he caused us to be born again. I mean, when you think of the world, it's the world system. We've already addressed that. It's anti-God. It's anti-Christ. It's ruled by the flesh. It's ruled by the lust of the eyes. It's ruled by the boastful pride of life. The world ruled by Satan and his demons and false teachers. You have already overcome In fact, look at chapter 3 in verse 1. It says there, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. 
I like how John Stott said. He said, the spell of the old life has been broken and the fascination of the world has lost its appeal. Listen, if you're in Christ, you don't, right? I mean, this is, if your heart, I'm not saying if you're spiritual, I'm just saying if you're a Christian, you don't love what you used to love. In fact, look down at 1 John 3.13. There, John says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. In fact, look at chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he that is in you is greater than he that is in the what? The world. Listen, you have a victorious birth. You have been born of God. Listen, you didn't just squeak by. You just didn't win a last minute victory. You have decisively won forever. And all that have the new birth in God have overcome the world and can claim the victory already. Remember when Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, take heart, I have overcome what? The world. And because Jesus has been victorious, we too are victorious with him. The victory has been decided even if it's not quite over yet. Now, the question you might ask If I say that you're an overcomer, you might ask the question, well, when did this happen? And when did that take place? I mean, maybe you've read Revelation 2 and 3 and you thought, I I hope I'm one of those. I mean, when did this take place if, if it's in fact, if you've already overcome the world? Listen, that took place when you came to Christ. When you trusted Christ, you became an overcomer. When you were born from above, when you were born again, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you became an overcomer. MacArthur said it this way. He said that, quote, our victory starts at the moment of salvation. At that moment, you are given a permanent faith that never, ever runs out. If you are God's, your salvation is forever. And so is the faith that he gave you forever. He has, speaking of Christ, defeated every enemy. He has triumphed over Satan, over demons, over the kingdoms of darkness, over death, over hell, over sin, the law, the world, false teaching. And you are a super conqueror because you have been given a permanent faith. And that faith, the one who is believing, is because you have been begotten of God. End of quote. Listen, let me just settle that for you. Say, why is this important? Well, it's important for assurance, right? If you want the assurance of your salvation, and you read Revelation 2 and 3, and you're thinking, I hope I'm one of them, then out the door will go your assurance. But if you sit in here this morning and you realize what the nature of saving faith truly looks like, that you believe on Christ, that you love God and love others, you're obedient to the Scripture, and you've overcome the world, all of those are the evidences and the characteristics 
of true saving faith. Listen, we have been born of God and because of our union with Christ, we partake in his victory. Let me compare, let me make a contrast here. You and I are not like the rich young ruler who loved the world and turned away from Christ. Remember when he came running and kneeling and had the right question to the right person in the right posture with the right stance and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, go sell your possessions and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Listen, that's not you. That's not me. See, for you, for a believer, the believer who's been converted, the believer who's born again, would look at the gospel as the pearl of great price and exchange everything you have and everything you are to gain the pearl, the gospel. You find the treasure hidden in the field, you go out and sell all that you have to gain the treasure. But we're not like the rich young ruler. You're not like the soil that the word of God fell on and got choked, it says, because of the worries of the world and because of the deceitfulness of riches and because of the desire of other things. Listen, we love Christ. We love his kingdom. We are overcomers here first by our virtuous birth. So listen, let me just settle that. Listen, you need to walk around and not try to attain to it, you already have overcome by your union with Jesus Christ when you were redeemed. But secondly, not only is this a powerful truth in our victorious birth, but then there's our victorious faith. Look at 4b. It says there, it says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world are what? Faith. Our faith in Christ has won the decisive victory. So here's how I look at it. The new birth, once you get redeemed, huh, it, it detaches you from the world, okay? And then it attaches you to Jesus Christ. This is what God does in the new birth. Our faith in Christ has won that victory. And the nature of this victory, how do we understand it? Well, I take this victory, look at verse 4, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. It says, our faith. And here, what John is saying is that at the time of our conversion, when we turn to Christ in initial faith, we gain the victory over the world. In fact, it's interesting. Look again at verse 4 when it says, and this is the victory, it says, that has overcome. That word overcome there is what we call in the aorist tense. And what that means is it indicates that a victory has been decisively won once and for all is what the thought means. And I believe it describes our initial faith. But I, but I want you to gain something here. The focus here is not on your faith or my faith. It's faith in the person and work of who? Jesus Christ. 
And you know this by the rhetorical question. Look down at verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I love that. It's not your faith that is victorious. We understand that. It's your faith with a direct object attached to it. It's the person and the work of Christ. And just as a little nuance there, verse 5, it's the one that believes and believes is in the present tense. It's the present experience, if you will, of these believers. This is the nature of saving faith. You continue to believe and trust in the person of Christ. It's interesting. Look at verse 5. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Look back at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, they're virtually synonymous, okay? But here it describes, verse 5, a belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Let, Let me just be clear here what that means, implication for us. Not all faith is victorious. I mean, you better believe the right thing. Just because someone says they have faith, what's it in? Not all paths lead to God. Not all faiths are redeemable. So the victory that that has allowed us to overcome the world is our faith, but it's not my faith, it's not your faith, it's your faith, verse 5, in the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, John couldn't be clearer in this epistle. Look back at John. Let me just remind you of a few texts in 1-3. Go back to this. Do you remember all the times he spoke about Christ? He said in 1-3, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship, watch this, is with the Father and with His Son, who? Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, 1-7, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Look over at chapter 2, verse 22. It says there, Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus the man is the Messiah Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father and whoever confesses the Son has the what? The Father also. Look down at chapter 3 in verse 23. There John says, this is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of of antichrist do you see how this he's saying you've overcome the world how john because number one you have a victorious birth 
You've overcome the world. How? By your faith. But it's not your faith. It's faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If you will, glance down at chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look at 4.14. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And so here's the faith. It's not our faith. It's faith in a person. Look at the end of verse 5 of chapter 5, though. We believe that Jesus, it says, is the Son of God. Jesus, of course, is his humanity. And at the one and the same time that he was fully human, he's also the Son of God. He's deity. And the Gnostics, did they not deny that the man Jesus is the divine Christ? They did not confess that. And so you must confess that. Look down at chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God born concerning his Son. And so you have to believe in his Son. Look all the way to the end of the book. We'll get there in a few weeks in 19, verse 20. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God, verse 20, has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. We are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and the eternal life. Listen, when you... Do you you understand how this impacts assurance? You say, how? Because it's not you. It's not your faith. Okay? You have to have faith. I get that. We express faith. But your faith here isn't in yourself. Your faith is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ who is victorious. So when you became marvelously born again at that moment in saving faith in Christ, you became an overcomer. So you don't have to worry if you read Revelation 2 and 3 if you can attain to that. The question is, is Christ has already attained to that for you. And that in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, The saints will persevere because God in Christ is persevering through you. Listen, what Romans 8, you get it now in 37? When Paul said that we are more than what? Conquerors through him who loved us. And Paul said, I am convinced, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What, what a great truth. 
Remember when Paul said this? You might know it by heart. Maybe we'll say it in a couple of weeks at, at Easter. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the what? The victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the nakao, who gives us the victory through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, here's four affirmations. Do my best to get this out. On the nature of saving faith. You say, what does it look like? What are the evidences of it? What are the characteristics of it? Well, here, you believe in Christ. You love God, not with perfection. I mean, I want to love Him more next year than I do now, but you love Him, and you love others. Thirdly, you're obedient, not with perfection, but direction of life. You're obedient to the commands of God. In fact, His commands are not burdensome. Because you love Him, you want to honor Him. And then the fourth characteristic is you've overcome the world. So let me answer the question that I posed at the beginning between who those were, you know, those views of overcoming were. All true believers in Christ are overcomers. And when you understand this, you embrace the doctrine of eternal security and the perseverance of the saints. Let me just give you a big definition of that. And I get it. We'll, we'll read it slow. It's by Burkoff. But I love Burkoff. He said this, if you can grasp it. He said, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, he said, is to the effect that they whom God has regenerated and effectually called to a state of grace can neither totally nor finally fall away from that state, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Let me say it again. He said there that the doctrine of perseverance of the saints is to the effect that those whom God has regenerated, those whom He has effectually called into a state of grace, can neither totally nor finally fall away from that state, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. The reason we believe the Scripture teaches the perseverance of the saints is not because you're holding on, but it's who's holding you. The Father is holding you, and no one will snatch you, what? Out of His hand. So the child of God who is born of God, because you're born again, believes on Christ, loves God and others, is obedient to the commands of God, and overcomes the world, and we overcome the world because of our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But Burke Parsons said this. He's a a, a great Reformed writer. (laughs) He said that perseverance is a gift from God and God blesses us with the assurance through his gift of perseverance. He said, though, however, many Christians lack full assurance. Stop there just for a second. And I think there's probably a number of you who lack full assurance, okay? 
He went on to say, many Christians lack full assurance of their salvation. He said, because their understanding of assurance is founded on the constantly changing emotions of their hearts rather than the eternal word of God, end of quote. That's the issue. Some of you lack assurance because you're looking for a feeling. You're looking to feel something. When the truth of the word of God is, is if you've been born again and your faith is in the person and work of Jesus Christ in his life, in his incarnation, in his deity, then you should have full assurance based on the confidence of Scripture. But I agree with Parsons that we lose it because of the constantly changing emotions of the heart rather than the eternal Word of God. So listen, when you're tempted to doubt, some doubt is good. Some it might, for some, God uses that to convert people. But I'm dealing with some of you who have anxious hearts. And you read Revelation and you think, I would love to be the one who was written in the book of life. Or what if he erased my name from the book of life? Or I'm overcoming now, but what happens when, when a certain evil power and an antichrist come? Will I still be faithful? Listen. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is not you who are persevering. God is the one holding on to you. And he will give you the faith to overcome any temptation. And I would say, yes, he's already given you victory over the world through the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Rest assured in that.